0: Be. Thank you for praying for me while I was in California last week. I uh, enjoyed my time out with my dad. Uh, most of the time I spent in sitting in front of a computer scanning pictures. My mom has 62 albums of pictures. And then there's one additional album of uh, his World War II photos and one of early material Growing up, being born in 1922, there wasn't a whole lot of money growing out on a farm in Mississippi for pictures. So there's not a lot of him until 1940s. And then there's, there's quite a few, but it was really, um, I think it was really great for him to be able to reminisce, especially since I was scanning pictures about that big and we put them on a, uh, my brother's uh, large screen TV. So now they're this big and he could recognize the people and when it was that big, he couldn't see him anymore. But he's like, oh, and it was amazing, especially like his, uh, his crewmates in uh, World War II. He that so-and-so and so-and-so. He remembered every single name. Still that much uh, in, in his mind. So it was good for him. It was also good, I think, for a family to look back, see and hear about the things that really are his legacy to us. And uh, I just praise the Lord that he's given him 90 years. Well, looking back over 90 years, it's easy to see the Lord's hand of providence on somebody's life, in this case, my father, taking him through the journey of life from where he was born on a farm in very rural Mississippi, his early family life, learning to walk with the Lord, God's protection of him during World War II, the various careers he's had in different states, uh, meeting my mom and raising a family, seeing grandkids come along as well, um, All the various activities had with churches and people. Hindsight is easy. We can look back. Our problem comes when it becomes foresight. How do we sense where the Lord's taking us? Where does He want us to go? That's often very fuzzy to us. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Our immediate future is an unknown. But that should not be a cause of trouble and trial and confusion and worry. And yet it does seem like that is true for most people. And I want to show you why this morning from Proverbs, it doesn't have to be that way. I do not believe that it's actually that hard to discern the will of God and recognize his guidance in our life. Certainly, there are uncertainties of the future. In fact, Proverbs 20:24 20, states that fact: "Man's steps are ordained by the Lord." How then can man understand his way? And there's a lot we don't understand. That uncertainty, unfortunately, opens the door for all sorts of mystical methods that people use, trying to somehow figure out where God's leading them. And often, they reach conclusions that are opposite of God's stated will. That's wrong. I hear such things even among conservative evangelical Christians who seem to look more to mysticism than to God's word in trying to determine even right from wrong. Now, that's not to say there's not some mystical elements in determining God's will. In fact, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 certainly give us some of it because it says as we pray properly, there should come about a sense of peace or confidence in whatever we're addressing. It's a piece of God that surpasses all understanding. So there is a mystical element in that, but those guard our heart and mind. At the same time, anything that is somewhat mystical that's coming from God is going to be in agreement with His Word. Period. It will never contradict it. Proverbs sixteen twenty says, He who gives attention to the word will find good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Now, that brings up what I believe is really at the heart of the problem of recognizing God's guidance to us. And it really comes down to our lack of trust in God. Because of that, we don't trust him. Then there is confusion, there's turmoil, there's worry. Proverbs 16, 9 states, The mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Most of us are aware of that in our own experience. You carefully plan out what you intend to do. It doesn't work that way. It's something else completely happens. It's it's going in a different direction we thought we were going to go. Jeremiah twenty three ten twenty three adds a similar thought. It says, "I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is in a man who walks to direct his steps." As much as we'd like to be in control of our lives, we're not. The Lord will often direct us places we weren't sure we were even going. Didn't you know we had a, it? There was a possibility. So if you do not trust the Lord in general, you're certainly not going to trust him in the specifics of where he's going to take your steps. Now, God has a different purpose for our lives than we have. And that's one of the things that causes a little bit of turmoil, sometimes a lot. God's purpose in your life is your holiness and his glory. Generally, the goal that people have in their life is happiness and success. And because of that, God may ordain your steps to go a place you don't even want to go. But you need to go there if you're going to accomplish what God wants you to do. If you're going to become the person God wants you to become. Mystical approaches to understanding God's will really only allow us to reinterpret everything so that we can end up matching everything to our will and still claim we're following God. But we're not. Well, how then do you learn to trust God and discern his will and God in your life? Proverbs has a lot to say about that. I did not count how many verses we're going over today, but we're going to be looking at a lot of Proverbs. Now, the first thing to remember about the whole book of Proverbs is that its purpose is to bring about wisdom, right? It's to enable people to know and follow God's will. And that's what wisdom and all its related virtues such as knowledge and discretion and prudence and righteousness and justice, equity. That's what they're all about. Give us an understanding of God's will so we can go and do that. Let's start with Proverbs twenty-two, 17. 17. through 21 explains, it says, incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply to your minds my knowledge. For it be pleasant if you keep them within you that they may be ready on your lips so that you may trust your trust may be in the Lord, I have taught you today, even you have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge to make you know with certainty the words of truth that you may correctly answer him who sent you. That's its purpose. And knowing that, we're going to have a confidence in going for the future. We're not going to be worried about it. We'll be able to sense God's leading. Following wisdom brings about God's blessings as well. For example, Proverbs 3 Verse 16 through 18. Speaking of wisdom, long life is in her right hand and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her and happy are all who hold her fast. The importance of wisdom. And the personification of wisdom in Proverbs 8, over a couple pages, starting in verse 12. Another one, we see the same kind of thing, 12 through 21. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance, the evil way, and the perverted mouth, I hate. Counsel is mine, sound wisdom, I am understanding. Power is mine. By me, kings reign, and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule, and nobles, all who judge rightly. I love those who love me and those who diligently seek me will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even pure gold, and my yield and choice is silver. I walk in the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice to endow those who love me with wealth that I may fill their treasuries. You can sense from this, and there's a lot of other proverbs of similar nature, the importance of wisdom. If you want to know God's will, you have to have wisdom. It's Essential. No wonder, if with these kinds of blessings, so that come from it, we find in Proverbs four, five through nine, the imploring of wisdom, saying is, or actually a father to his son, is acquire wisdom, love her, prize her, embrace her. Why? Because she will guard you, she will exalt you, she will honor you. Now, another w- blessing that wisdom brings is protection. Proverbs 24, 13, and 14 explains if you find wisdom, then there is a future for you and your hope is not going to be cut off. There is a protection there. Proverbs two twelve states that wisdom will deliver you from the way of evil from the man who speaks perverse things. And living in the society we do, there's a lot of perverse things being spoken out there. We need to be delivered. So we need the wisdom that God's word gives us. Those who neglect wisdom... They bring about self-injury and they love death, Proverbs 8.36 tells us. Proverbs 16.22 warns, understanding is a fountain of life to one who has it, but the discipline of fools is folly. And we see a lot of people walking in folly and the tragedy of it. Proverbs 21.16, a man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. So it's serious. Wisdom is crucial in being able to discern the will of God and understand his guiding of us. As I explained in my very first sermon in this series, in the Hebrew scriptures, wisdom is tied to the revelation of God and his will. It's speaking about which is holy and righteous and what is just. So in true wisdom, true human wisdom, the human will, human understanding are Subjugated or submitted to God's will and revelation because wisdom resides in who? In God, not us. That's where it lies. True wisdom subjects the practical things we learn in the course of our human experience to the revelation of God so that we can live the best possible moral and ethical life possible. Wisdom requires a knowledge of God and a willingness to submit him. As Lewis Goldberg well described it, wisdom is, quote, exhibiting God's character in the many practical affairs of life. I like the way he says that. That means as I live my life, people should see God's wisdom exhibited in how I live. His character, his nature. We should be reflecting that. But the two extremes that we usually find around us, licentiousness, in other words, I get, want to do anything I want, are the legalists. I restrict everything. They neglect that wisdom from manipulating God's standards or God's stated commands into something that will allow them to pursue their self-interest, something that will self-justify them despite their own transgression to principles, just like the scribes and Pharisees did. The scribes were licentious, the, the Pharisees were legalists. Without wisdom, you cannot discern and follow God's leading. And tragically, that's the manner in which many self-professing Christians are trying to live their lives. Now, that will become very apparent when we get to Proverbs on vices. People show they lack wisdom and demonstrate their foolishness when they try to justify their sins. And we find a lot of Christians will do the same thing. Proverbs fourteen six says a scoffer seeks wisdom and finds none. But knowledge is easy to the one who is understanding. Wisdom is crucial. Well, Proverbs nine ten states that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is also the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs one seven, and instruction for wisdom. Proverbs fifteen thirty three. And to hate evil, Proverbs 8.13. Now this relationship between the fear of the Lord and wisdom is also tied together in Proverbs 2, 5, and 6, in which a diligent search for wisdom results in being able to, quote, discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So you can see the two are, are interconnected. The fear of the Lord drives me to wisdom, and wisdom drives me to the fear of the Lord. So if you want to know God and discern his will, discern his leading, then it starts with a proper fear of the Lord, a diligent quest for true wisdom. Now, Proverbs 1.7 warns that fools despise wisdom and instruction. They will not walk in the fear of the Lord. In fact, Proverbs one twenty nine says, because they hate wisdom, they will not choose the fear of the Lord. And that's really how that's put that. You choose it. Well, the fear of the Lord is, is a good thing. Proverbs talks a lot about the blessings it brings. The fear of the Lord leads to life, Proverbs 10, 27. It's a fountain of life, Proverbs 14, 27. It prolongs life, Proverbs 19, 23. And in doing that, it's so that you can avoid the snares of death and even sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. You want to have a nice, restful night? Sleep well? Have a proper fear of the Lord. Proverbs 22.4 adds that the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. 14.26 states that in the fear of the Lord there is a strong confidence and his children have refuge. And Proverbs 16.16 16 points out by the fear of the Lord one keeps away from evil. Now, what do we mean by fear of the Lord then? It's important to have it, but what are we talking about? Well, there are two components to the fear of the Lord. Hebrews twelve twenty nine states that God is a consuming fire. He then adds in 1031 that it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You see, there is a and should be a proper terror. And that's the right word for it. A terror in the heart of all the unrighteous because they stand condemned by a holy, righteous, and just creator. They have not only missed the mark of keeping his perfect will and unrighteousness, they have disobeyed his law and rebelled against his rule, allowed iniquity to direct their hearts, and walked in the path of evil. Now, the big problem with that is that's all of us. We all start there. And so it's proper if we're going to understand God, we start with a terror of him. This is the creator of the universe, and I am accountable to him. Without that terror, are you going to really seek him and pay attention to what he has to say? You see, and tragically, the gospel's been twisted and perverted so much. We're trying to make him a good buddy. Well, yes, he's a friend that sit closer and brother, but you can't get there from the terror unless there's an intervention. And praise the Lord that there has been an intervention. My iniquity condemns me, condemns me to eternal hell. But because of the intervention, that terror, of that horrible destiny does not have to be continuing on. But if I have not taken appropriated what God has provided for me, that terror should be there. Frankly, what's one of the big problems in our society? People are living apart from the fear of God. How can they say the kinds of things and do the kinds of things that are broadcast in the news or portrayed in entertainment? Because there's no fear of God in them. Now, the good news is because God has provided a means of being righteous before him, it doesn't have to stay in terror. The Lord has intervened. He has paid the price of sin himself in Jesus Christ. That's the good news. God remains just. The penalty of the law is satisfied. He's merciful and he's gracious because he himself has paid it for us. In the Hebrew scriptures, a man looked forward to God paying that price. He was looking down the court of time to see that God would do this and trusting he would. We live on the other side of that. We look back to an historical reality. Jesus Christ died for us. And he rose again, proving that his sacrifice was accepted. And so I don't stand condemned any longer. All those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Romans 8, 1. Now, all those who've placed their faith in in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ were justified as a gift of God's grace and no longer terrorized in God's presence. Instead, we long for it. We want to be in his presence because the fear of the Lord is then taken over by the second component. It starts with terror, but now it moves to reverence a proper respect because of who he is. He is my creator, but he's also my savior. And because he adopts those who have faith in Christ as his children, he's now my father. And so I can come to him as I would my father with a proper respect, but also a confidence because I know he loves me. That reverence is also a sign of humility before him and humility is necessary if we're going to learn, mature, and discern God's will. Let me expand a little bit on this idea of humility and its importance if we're going to discern God's will. Proverbs has a lot of statements on the blessings of humility and the dangers of pride. For example, Proverbs 15, 33. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, but before honor comes humility. It ties it together there. Proverbs eleven two: When pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom. So if we're going to have wisdom, we have to be humble. We understand from several scriptures, like James 4, 6, that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Pride is the mark of a fool. And that pride will result in a rejection of wisdom and instruction and salvation too. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Proverbs 28, 26, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. And Proverbs 16, 25, There is a way which seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We need to be humble people. There's quite a contrast between Pride in those who are humble. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Proverbs 22, 4. And therefore, we need to heed the warning given in Proverbs twenty-three, seventeen. Do not let your heart envy sinners. And that's easy to do, isn't it? Psalm 73, Asaph certainly started struggling with envying the sinners because it seemed like they're doing pretty good. Their life seemed at ease. Everything went well for them and he was living with all sorts of struggles. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. That directs your heart towards true wisdom. Now, another characteristic that's absolutely necessary in order to recognize God guiding you is righteousness. Let me give you a couple of reasons for this. First, Proverbs 15 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Now, that's not a politically correct statement. In fact, remember about maybe 15 years ago, um, I believe it was Charles Stanley was jumped all over because he had stated that. What do you mean that God doesn't hear the prayer of other people, only Christians? Well, what does it say? The Lord is far from the wicked, he hears the prayer of the righteous. Isaiah 1.15, Psalm 66.18, John 9.31, James 4.3, just to give you a scouting throughout the scriptures, all say the same thing. God doesn't have to pay attention to you if you're hiding sin in your heart. He doesn't need to at all. But he does pay attention to the righteous. Proverbs 15.8 even adds this, even stronger, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. So even their effort to go worship him, he says, this is an abomination but he says the prayer of the upright is his delight. Righteousness is essential. Now, the second reason that righteousness is necessary to discern the Lord's leading is that righteousness and true wisdom go hand in hand. You, you can't really have one without the other. If you're wise, you will pursue righteousness. If you're righteous, you're going to pursue wisdom. Proverbs four, ten through twenty seven, and I'm going to read that whole section, that's seventeen verses points out that walking in wisdom results in a righteous character, righteous behavior, as well as avoiding the wicked and evil. The blessings of having a righteous character are expressed in Proverbs 21.21. He who pursues righteousness and loyalty finds life, righteousness and honor. Proverbs 20 verse 7 adds this, a righteous man who walks in integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. There's a legacy you pass down by walking in righteousness. These next couple of Proverbs contrast righteous and evil. Proverbs 19 16. He who keeps the commands keeps his soul, but he who is careless of his conduct will die. Proverbs 12 26 The righteous is a guide to his neighbor, the way of the wicked lead them astray. We affect people around us. Proverbs 14 22, Will they not go astray who devise evil? But the kindness and truth will be to those who devise good. If you are not pursuing righteousness, do not expect to be able to understand God's leading your life because you're going a different direction. And frankly, you're not really interested in his leading. You may be interested in trying to justify yourself, but you're not interested in, in really following God. We pursue righteousness. Now, the good news is that Jesus already promised something to us in Matthew 5, 6. How blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. That's a great promise. So it's not something that I have to work up myself. I just have to long for it. God will guide you there. He will take you there. But it's going to come through Christ. Now, where does learning start from? I spent eight weeks talking about parenting so I can't get away from it so it comes back one more time. It begins with your parents. And there's a responsibility you have as parents to teach your children. I had pointed out in throughout the last eight sermons, that learning about God and his will starts with a parent loving God with all his heart, soul, and might, and then diligently teaching their children about God and his commands and all the common things that happen during daily life. Always pointing out God. That is our responsibility as parents. Proverbs also makes an emphasis on parents teaching children so that they become wise. And again, this is a wisdom that refers to being able to subject all the practical things that are learned in human experience to the revelation of God so they can be moral, ethical people, adults. That's the goal. Proverbs 1-8. Hear my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Proverbs 3-1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Proverbs 4-1. Hear, O son, the instruction of the father and give attention that you may give him understanding. And those kind of statements are all through Proverbs. A father pleading with his son to heed and hear. Listen to my instruction. Listen to your mother's teaching. Don't forsake them. He, he's imploring. They lay the foundation for wisdom. Proverbs 23, 22 and 23. Listen to your father who begot you. Do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth. Do not sell it. Get wisdom, instruction, understanding. They're worth more than silver and gold. A parent's teaching encompasses both the good things that are to be done as well as warning about the evil things to avoid, to shy away from, to eschew them, to use an old King James word, a parent's discipline includes teaching and instruction as well as the negative aspects rebuke, correction, chastening. Proverbs three one says a wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Proverbs fifteen five says a fool rejects his father's discipline, but he regards reproof as sensible. So, parents, do not neglect the responsibility you have because it affects your children and it will affect your grandchildren. It becomes your legacy. Children, you need to heed your parents' teaching because only then can you really enjoy the blessings, such as in Proverbs 4.10. Hear my son, accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. And also avoid the curses that come with rebellion. Proverbs 30.17. The eye that mocks a father and scorns a mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out, and the young eagles will eat it. Proverbs can be pretty graphic. That's not a good... We don't want a graphic of that one. So parents, it begins with you. Children, you need to pay attention, parents. But there's also a responsibility for each person to learn on their own. And a lot of that comes through observation. The wise will pay attention to what is going on around them. Parents teach the children God's commands and their application, but the individual must learn from the word of God themselves and apply it themselves. Consider these Proverbs. Proverbs 1620. He who gives attention to the Word will find it. Blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Are you paying attention to the Scriptures? Proverbs thirteen thirteen the one who despises the word will be in debt to it, but the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. There's a blessing in following God's Word, there's a curse of neglecting it. Proverbs 19.16, he who keeps the commandment will keep his soul, but he who is careless of conduct will die. Now, Proverbs itself lists out both virtues that God approves, the things he wants you to do, the things which are pleasing to him, and the vices he wants you to avoid, those things that are abominable to him. Virtues would include things like holiness and humility, honesty, integrity, kindness, goodness, compassion. Vices, well, Proverbs 6 16 through 19 certainly give us a, a good rundown on that. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run wrathly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among his brothers. We should pay attention to those things. You want to know God's will? Don't get involved with those things. That's a no. The positive side? Be a person of integrity and of honesty. Okay? So Proverbs lays it out for us. Teaches a lot about God's will just from that. You're also to learn by observing other people. And we learn a lot by observing others. Both those things like, I think I'll do it that way. That looks good. Or I'm not going there. That's bad. Okay? I think I'd said this as men's breakfast yesterday. There's two ways to learn. There's the school of hard knocks where you learn everything by your own experience. And then there's my way, which is lazy. So it's the lazy man's way. Watch somebody else and learn from their mistakes. Right? (laughs) Don't go that direction. Go a different direction. But here's some Proverbs on that. Proverbs twenty one eleven. When the scoffer is punished, the naive becomes wise, but the, when the wise is instructed, he receives knowledge. Proverbs twenty two, three, the prudent sees evil and hides himself. The naive go on and are punished for it. Proverbs twenty four, thirty through thirty-four considers the sluggard. I pass by the field of the sluggard, and by the vineyard of the man that lacks sense. Behold, it was completely over grown with thistles its surface was covered with nettles its stone wall was broken down when I saw I reflected upon it I looked I received instruction in other words he paid attention was going on here's his conclusion a little sleep a little slumber a little folding of the hands to rest then your poverty will come as a robber and your want like an armed man he paid attention he learned there are also lessons you can learn just by observing nature. Proverbs uh, six, six through eight, one of the many passages that goes to the ant. Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, officer or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. Doesn't Jesus also point to nature quite a few times in illustrating theological points? Are you learning to lead, be led by the Lord through your observations of His Word, by observing God's dealings with other people, or even how He's structured nature? We can gain a lot of insight into the Lord's leading us personally through those observations. But we need to go beyond that because there are two major problems that we have as individuals in discerning God's will. And these are things that affect all of us, and we have to learn to overcome them. The first is that we're ignorant. We don't know. The word of God may specifically spell out everything we need to know about making a decision. So we know exactly what God's will is on it. But if we don't know it, if we're ignorant of it, we'll still stumble into problems, won't we? We won't know God's leading because we're ignorant. We don't know. The second is worse. We have a bent towards selfishness and sin. And it is not hard for anybody to start twisting scriptures around and manipulate them enough to where I can justify myself in whatever I'm doing because that's the way I want to do it. And now I've convinced myself that's God's way too. And it's not. For those reasons, getting godly counsel is crucial. And I have to emphasize godly counsel Psalm one warns gives a very strong warning about getting counsel from the ungodly. So pay attention to Psalm one's advice. Proverbs fourteen seven warns: "Leave the presence of a fool, or you will not discern the words of knowledge." Who are your friends? Who are your counselors? If they're fools, then you're going to follow the fool's way. If they're wise, you will follow the wise way. Now the first. And foremost counsel to receive, of course, is that from God. Proverbs 19.21, many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord, it will stand. Or Proverbs 21.30, there's no wisdom and no understanding, no counsel against the Lord. We go to him first. Now, that, of course, takes us back to scriptures and to prayer, doesn't it? But I, I it, it shouldn't amaze me, but it still does, of how many people claim they are following God's will actively looking for it, but they don't pray about it. And what they're actually doing is contrary to what the scriptures say, and if you point it out, then they still they blow you off. But the Lord's leading me a different direction. He doesn't lead you apart from what this says. Okay? If this says one thing you're doing the other, you're not following God. Period. Don't blame him. Because that's not his will, that's your will. And you're going the way of fools. Now, the wise are going to seek to learn from others. They're active in this. Proverbs 1, five: a wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. They go out and look for it. And they're not, not passive in this. Proverbs 9.9, 9, give instruction to a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in his learning. That takes action. It's activity. You don't learn it by osmosis. You're actively pursuing it. A wise, the wise also recognize they're limited their own knowledge and understanding, and so they seek counsel from others. Pretty good parallel from, with humility, right? Proverbs 12.15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but the wise man is he who listens to counsel. Proverbs 19.20, listen to counsel, accept discipline, that you may be wise the rest of your days. See, that's the nice thing about wisdom. As you're acquiring it, it continues on. What you've learned today will benefit you tomorrow and the day after and the day after. Wisdom increases. They also understand, the wise do, that there's a difference between success and failure. Is often wise counsel. Consider these two Proverbs. Proverbs fifteen twenty two. Without consultation plans are frustrated. Ever been there? And I have. Frustrated plans. And yet it says, But with many counselors they succeed. Because other people have insights you won't. And they may point out where you err. Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no guidance the people fall, but in abundance of counselors there is victory. The wise are very cautious about the source of the counsel. Proverbs twelve twenty six: The righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but again, the way of the wicked leads him astray. Which way are you going to go? Who are you going to counsel from? Proverbs 13, 20, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. And while the counsel of friend can be sweet, Proverbs 27, 9 tells us that, Godly counsel also is beneficial when it may not be so sweet. In fact, it may be sour. In fact, it may be very contentious. Proverbs 17, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And what happens when you're banging iron together? Sparks, right? We're not talking want wanna Sparks. Okay, we're talking friction, and yet that very contention is needed because that brings up a whole other area of counsel, and that's the necessary rebuke that we need. That's part of getting God's guidance. You must be willing to be disciplined, rebuked, and corrected, because they are a source of understanding. Proverbs fifteen thirty two says, "He who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding." Proverbs twelve one: whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof, he's very direct here, is stupid. And that need starts early in life. Proverbs thirteen one: a wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Now that's a serious matter because the scoffer that is rejecting reproof will not go to the wise, Proverbs 15.12, he will go astray, Proverbs 10.17. That's where he's going to end up. And though the Lord is patient, the Lord is long-suffering. Proverbs 29.1 gives a very strong warning. A man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. There is a point in time his patience runs out. And that's it. And now there is really no hope for you. Listen to reproof while there's time. Do you seek godly counsel? Do you accept and learn from the rebuke and correction that comes from others? Or even more importantly, that comes from your own reading of the scriptures? That is how we become wise people who know God's leading. Now, if all these things are followed, seeking wisdom, fearing the Lord, being humble, pursuing righteousness, learning from God's word and others, seeking godly counsel, including accepting and heeding rebuke, it all should culminate in this, trust in the Lord. Ultimately, your ability to be guided by God, to recognize that he is leading you, is going to come down to this issue. Do you know and trust God? Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 is probably one of the more memorized sections of Scripture. I believe it's in the Iwana program, isn't it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Are you familiar with that one? In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. He'll be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. It's a crucial section of scripture. To trust in the Lord means to actively walk with God in doing what is right before him in all humility on your part and leaving the outcome to God. That's what we mean by the walk of faith. I believe him so I will do what he says and what happens? That's up to God. I don't have to be in control of that. That's the walk of faith. That is the means by which we receive his blessings. But understand that God's blessings do not necessarily mean an easy life for you. And this is what throws so many people. They think blessings is only as if, well, if all goes my way, I have no problems, everything's smooth. Everybody likes me. Nobody hates me. Right? That may not be the blessing you need. God's goals and your goals again are different and your path only becomes straight and the desires of your heart are only granted as your goals and your desire match those of the Lord. Verse John 5, 13 and 14 actually tells us in no uncertain terms, we'd have a great constant going to God when we pray according to his will, his will. But the usual goals of people are things like happiness or success, however they define that. Having an ease of life, pleasure, uh, fame, power. That's what people seem to be after. But God's goal again is your holiness and becoming like Christ, right? 1 Peter 1.16, you shall be holy for I am holy. Romans 8.29, to be conformed to the image of his son. That's his goal. And out of that comes serving him. And that means you can expect that God, as he's leading your life, is going to take you places you may not want to go because that's where you have to go to become holy and be conformed to his image. And you can expect that because God loves you, he is also going to reprove you, rebuke you, and chasten you to move you along toward holiness And becoming like Christ. But that's where people don't like it. And that's why they seek out all sorts of mystical methods. Of figuring out God's will. Because they don't want what God actually wants for them. They want what they want. They just want to say that it's God that's doing this. Essentially they're trying to blame God for their own sin. Or attribute to God what their sinful habits are. God's goal is different, so he's going to take you through different things to get you where you need to go. We already read from Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. A couple of verses later, Proverbs three eleven and 12. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects his son in whom he delights. Hebrews 12 quotes this. And I'll tell you, I don't think there can be a greater confidence that you belong to God than when he's chastening you. Whom he loves, he will chasten. When you know you're going the wrong direction and you're without chastening, that's scary. Because to be without chastening, according to Hebrews, is to be illegitimate. I love his chastening of me. I love his correction of me. It lets me know he cares and he's still directing me. Now, again, I'd rather do it the easy way, but I'm also stubborn. I have my own bent towards sin. And so when God is correcting me, I praise him. It demonstrates his love for me, and he's pushing me again back towards wisdom so that I can be the holy man he wants me to be. I can be like Christ and glorify my creator. That's my purpose in life. Remember, as well, that God is not concerned just about your at. Outward actions. He's also looking at your motives, and so some of the chasing that we may get isn't because the outward action was bad. We might have even done the right thing, but the motive was wrong. So he's still going to get after you. He wants you changed inwardly, not just outwardly. Proverbs sixteen two: All the ways of man are clean in his own sight, but God weighs the motives. Now, we can trust God because he is sovereign. And his sovereignty, that means he is in control. He will accomplish his will. It's stated clearly in Proverbs. Proverbs sixteen nine: the mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. For those who do not know God, they don't know the character of the Lord. That sovereign hand upon their life is a source of trouble and terror because they don't want to go that direction. But for those that do know God and do know his character, that same sovereignty is the source of the greatest comfort and peace. Again, the difference goes back to what we talked about earlier. What kind of fear the Lord is present? Terror because he's holy and just creator who's going to judge or the reverence that comes because he's my father who's redeemed me and forgiven me by his grace on the basis of faith in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the latter, Proverbs eighteen ten is true, because for the righteous, he is a strong tower that they can run into and be safe. His sovereignty is by safety. It's my hope that you are also comforted by God's sovereign hand upon your life. If not, talk to any of our leaders. If you're just troubled by something, would be happy to pray with you. If you don't know Christ, we'd be happy to introduce you to him, that you can have that same kind of comfort when God's hand is being seen, even the negative aspects. Sure, it's always a lot better when it's the positive aspects. But in all the aspects that you can see and know that God is leading you, it's not just a haphazard life of whatever happens to happen. It's not sera, sera. My God, of the, the hand of my God is upon me. And he will move me where he wants to move me. And I can trust him for the future and be at peace with that. Because God's will is not hidden. His leading is not bound in mystery. It is a freely available to everyone who will humble themselves, fear the Lord, seek wisdom and righteousness. The Lord reveals his will and his leading through his spirit, working through teachers and counselors and province. But again, primarily, his revelation to you and his leading is going to come through the scriptures. Do you know it? Again Proverbs 16:20 He who gives attention to the word will find good and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord